You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, the Easy Bake Oven has been one of the most popular toys for the last half century, frequently landing on lists of the top 100 toys ever. It's also found itself on a few other lists, such as toys that are dangerous and should probably not exist. Imagine this. You step outside on a beautiful summer night, you're away from the city, and you gaze up to see an infinite sea of stars. But wait a minute. Is that an advertisement in space? Could this actually be more of a soon-to-be reality than we think? Well, ChatGPT is the latest artificial intelligence chatbot craze, it wasn't the first. Today, we go back to the 1960s to meet Eliza. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's do it. Jay, what was a toy that really meant a lot to you as a kid? Like, anything in particular stand out? I mean, it could be a popular thing that you really wanted, like maybe the Tickle Me Elmo craze of the late 1990s. Or maybe it's something more unique to you, Jay. You're a teacher, so I don't know, maybe you wanted like a globe or something. (laughs) Well, no, I was a pretty basic kid. I was into, you know, Power Rangers and Legos and stuff like that. Any 90s kid, uh, typical 90s kid type stuff. But uh, I probably spent the most time with my Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. I was really into... uh, to uh, games on those consoles whenever I was younger. I don't know why. I could see you as being the kind of kid that maybe wanted like a map-making kit. <laughs> like, create your own treasure map. Uh, I was about to say, like, what is a map-making kit? <laughs> like, it's just a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> well, Jay, when it comes to toys that have stood the test of time, kind of like a map-making kit, few can compete with the Easy Bake Oven. Popular now for nearly 50 years, the Easy Bake Oven is a kid-sized oven that enables children to make their own baked goods. Things like cakes, cookies, and pretzels. Did you have one, by the way? Uh, No, we didn't have one in our house. Me or my sister both uh, never never got our hands on an Easy Bake Oven. We had one, but I don't know that we ever used it. I think we just looked at it. But it was still still (laughs) cool to have. It was was decorative. (laughs) But Jay, the Easy Bake Oven is so popular, in fact... That it even has its own day. November 4th is officially National Easy Bake Oven Day. But aside from being on many iconic, beloved toy lists, the Easy Baked Oven often finds itself on another set of lists. A rundown of toys that probably shouldn't exist. Well, it wasn't the first child-sized oven. Easy Baked Oven is the one that survived. Inspired by pretzel vendors in New York City in the 1960s, the Easy Bake Oven relies on light bulbs to cook the food instead of other baking methods like wood-burning or electric baking coils. Officially launched in 1963, the oven came with cake and cookie mixes, special child-sized utensils, and of course, a kid's recipe book. And Jay, from the get-go, the oven was a hit selling over 500,000 units in the first year alone. 
The Easy Bake Oven uh, became a must-have. It was an uber-popular holiday toy year after year. And it didn't take long for real baking companies to jump on the money train. Betty Crocker was the first real baking company to partner with the oven in 1969. And these types of partnerships led to the Easy Baked Oven products resembling actual real cookies and cakes instead of something that's not. And as the oven has evolved through the years, strong sales have stayed with it. Hasbro reports that over 30 million ovens have been sold since its inception, topping an estimated $150 million in total sales. According to reporting from Mashable and the Daily Dot, its break into pop culture, Jay, has been a big part of its staying success. It's one of the most popular toys of all time, reports the Daily Dot, with appearances on hit TV shows like How I Met Your Mother, Seinfeld, and even glowing reviews from media personalities like Oprah Winfrey. But you see, Jay, the oven is kind of dangerous. Surprise, surprise, reports of burns have followed the oven through the years, and a federal law forcing the oven to change its light bulb system in 2007 led to a total redesign with a different heating source. The redesign changed how kids loaded pans into the oven, leading to complete disaster for the oven. According to Mashable, nearly one million ovens were recalled because of injuries that started to pile up. The company even issued a free retrofit kit to try and quickly fix the problem. But Jay, this just led to more injuries, threatening the future of the oven. There's even at least one reported case of a total finger amputation as a result of a child's hand getting stuck in the oven. Imagine that being your party story. You know, guess how I lost this finger. (laughs) Yeah, so what did happen to your thumb? Well, (laughs) but Jay, somehow the Easy Bake Oven, despite the injuries through the years, has continued to not only survive, but thrive. Despite the associated dangers and occasional recalls or finger amputations, the oven continues to sell today, even being named a top 100 toy of all time by Time Magazine. This proves, Jay, that even if you aren't perfect and you occasionally burn someone or you even lead to them losing an appendage, you can still be popular. Hey, you know, give a young kid something hot enough to cook literal food. Like, what could possibly go wrong? So Dave, you work in marketing, and I uh, just want to ask you, like, when it comes to advertisements, is there any sort of like unique type of advertisement that you think is kind of more interesting than traditional type of advertising? Yeah, we should really do a segment on this because, and I'd be interested if any of our listeners are this person. I've always found it fascinating when you see someone driving around with a completely wrapped vehicle. Okay, so they don't work for this company. But they've, they've got some kind of deal where they are driving a Geico SUV, <laughs> but they don't work for Geico. So they're getting some kind of car kickback just in, in, in return for them being a driving billboard. Yeah, you got me thinking, though, about like how much would it cost to wrap a car with Commute the Podcast logos you know, to try to get uh-huh. our name out there. If you're interested, especially if you have a van and you're interested in having Commute on your car, let's talk. 
Now, I did see something similar where firms were paying people to get tattoos of their logos. Like it was like you would pay it; they would pay you like a hundred dollars, and you'd get like dollars. <laughs> I'm not kidding. For something like, permanent. <laughs> yeah, and you'd get like X on tattooed on your arm or something. I don't know. Like, now it doesn't have to be big; just your bicep. <laughs> Well, Dave, we're all pretty used to seeing advertisements in our modern world. They're on our phone and TVs and even on our drives to work. But what if I told you, Dave, that in addition to the probably thousands of advertisements that you see every day, there are companies out there exploring even more intrusive ways to advertise to you, maybe specifically to a place that no ads have gone before into space. Although it may sound ridiculous, there are some factors here driving the conversation around the possibility of advertising from space, primarily just how much easier it is becoming to get up there in the first place. Independent space travel companies are increasingly offering more opportunities to go into space commercially, and advertisers see this as an opportunity to launch logos or billboards into the skies, which, as you would imagine, not only creates some serious legal questions, but also just really rubs a lot of people the wrong way. The first company to seriously explore this idea was a Russian firm called Start Rocket. The idea initially was to take a group of tiny satellites and use them in a similar way to like a drone show to rearrange into messages that will be visible from Earth at night. And at least in the initial pitch, the service would be more than advertising. It could be used to display emergency messages or instructions in the event of like the loss of power, for instance. But to say that the reception from the public was not great, that would be an understatement. Commenters flooded the Facebook page of Start Rocket, pointing out that we deserve to see stars when we look up into the night sky, not advertisements, with others threatening to just straight up boycott any company that would dare try such a stunt. Astronomers spoke up too, pointing out that to do their research, they need to be able to see in the sky at night, and a lit up billboard sort of gets in the way of that. And although Start Rocket never really got this idea fully off the ground, other companies are lining up behind them. Another company, Geometric Energy Corporation, for example, plans to launch a very small spacecraft into orbit with a small digital screen that wouldn't be visible from Earth, but would have an attached camera on sort of a selfie stick that would live stream that screen from space. Advertisers would then pay to have a message streamed on social media from space. Theoretically, anyone could buy the space for marriage proposals or whatever you wanted to say to a large audience. But within this emerging conversation, there are some brewing legal questions. Now, we have to mention the Outer Space Treaty of the United Nations, and we have mentioned that on this show before. But a quick look at that reveals that space as it stands right now is free and open to all. So theoretically, you could just launch whatever you want up there. But also, countries have to get approval as not to step on other countries' toes about what they are putting into space. Threats to safety exist here, too, as the odds of space traffic collision get higher the more you put into orbit. 
So the debate here exists really on the functionality of space in general. You have one side establishing that space travel should serve some necessary function that is useful for science and technology. But the other side points out that no one owns space, and therefore it's only a matter of time before you look up at the night sky and see an advertisement instead of stars. But ultimately, Dave, this is probably not the end of a conversation as much as it is the beginning of one. Well, Jay, we've talked before on the show about how um, it is possible, whether or not it's recognized, that you can buy land on the moon. And so since it's been a minute since we talked about it or looked it up, I just thought, well, I'll just check it out and see where we're at now. So February 2023 is when we are recording this episode. Uh, LunarRegistry.com is the website if you want to buy a piece of the moon. So I just went to see, well, I wonder what the Sea of Rains, which is an area on the moon, I wonder what it's selling for these days. So it's uh, it's up to $147 per acre on the uh, the Sea of Rains, which is really a northern part of the moon. It sounds like a little bit of moonflation going on here because I feel like I remember last time we talked about this, it was much cheaper than that, like so much to where we were like, we should buy this as an advertising stunt for this podcast. Yeah. No, they've gone all out. They even have uh, descriptions now. So of this area on the moon, it says, if you love those wide open spaces, the Sea of Rains is the lunar property for you. That's a pretty good sales pitch. Imagine trying to claim it. <laughs> uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. I own this property of of the moon on the Sea of Rains. <laughs> this is my spot. I, I mean, ironically, that's pretty much what we did with the Earth. Like, people just sailed across the ocean. They're like, uh, I believe this is ours now because we arrived first. <laughs> ah, you think you can just go it anywhere It doesn't matter that there, are, that there are already people here. And finally, Jay, we've talked a few times on the show about the new AI software that's been all the rage lately, ChatGPT, the new artificial intelligence system that can help you do just about anything from writing a college essay to helping you tell your significant other, sorry, babe, it's you, not me. So, Jay, uh, any more run-ins or uses of the program since we last talked about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm playing with ChatGPT all the time. I just like, think it's really interesting, but particularly like where I'm an educator, I feel like I kind of have to be ahead of the curve a little bit whenever it comes to technology like this. So, like, I have caught a couple students using Ooh, ChatGPT. Juicy. And, the, and it's very easy to find out because it's just like, hey... Um, hey, what's the word pestilence mean? And then they don't know. And you're like, you had an AI write this, didn't you? Like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear. Yeah, I think we're just kind of entering this phase where it's not really going to be a thing that you fight as much as you're going to have to embrace and work around. I mean, if it's going to be a tool that's going to exist, it's like whenever we were in school and, and they told us like, well, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket, so you better learn how to do it in your head. And now we literally have calculators in our pockets. Like, I feel like it's kind of like that. Like, we kind of have to work with it, not against it in a way. So Yeah, hope you were listening. Mr. Cook gave me a, a <laughs> D in Algebra 3. A D! Ridiculous. <laughs> and actually, Jay, uh, ChatGPT... Uh, just chat AI software in general is being heavily used in a new version of Bing that's about to launch, which may I remind you we have made fun of many times on this show. We make fun of Bing users (laughs) 
like it's our job. But we also talked about how profitable we, it is. We okay? did. So we're not hate. We're not haters. We're not haters. So we do want to monitor these developments. Now, I will say though, just in the last couple of days, apparently the Bing AI system has been getting in its feelings and uh, insulting people and getting mad at people. <laughs> So, typical Bing usage. <laughs> it, it just has a superiority <laughs> complex. But, Jay, while ChatGPT feels revolutionary, it's really just a ramped-up version of something that's been around for a while. Chatbots. And so today we're going to look at what's considered to be the first autonomous computer chatbot program ever created, Eliza. Born in Berlin, Germany in 1923, computer engineer Joseph Weizenbaum went on a winding road in life that would eventually lead to his creation of Eliza, the first computer bot program that was capable of holding up a conversation with a human. Fleeing Germany in 1935 with his family to escape Nazi rule, Weizenbaum eventually would wind up in the U.S. and in 1955 would assist General Electric in the design of the first computer used in the banking industry. It wasn't until a stint at MIT, though, Jay, that Weizenbaum would put his focus on something else, creating a computer that could have an actual conversation with you. Jay Weizenbaum believed this would be possible through teaching a computer how to mimic the flow of a therapy session, meaning it could repeat words and statements that were given to it. This, said Weizenbaum, meant that the computer didn't need a deep knowledge of the English language to be able to hold a conversation. The concept needed conversations in which one of the parties doesn't have to know everything. And a psychiatrist occurred to me, Weizenbaum would say. It just needed to know how to listen. He named the program Eliza after Eliza Doolittle, a character from the play Pygmalion, which we know today as the modern story My Fair Lady. And Jay, in 1966, he debuted Eliza. Messages were sent to Eliza from MIT students, and it worked. One sample conversation went like this. You'll see this is very much like a therapist, albeit a therapist who isn't much help. User, well, my boyfriend made me come here. Eliza, your boyfriend made you come here. User, he says I'm depressed much of the time. Eliza, I'm sorry to hear that you're depressed. User, it's true, I am unhappy. Eliza, do you think coming here will help you not be unhappy? (laughs) It's like the most unhelpful (laughs) instructions that exist. So, Jay, while yes, that is pretty stupid by today's chatbot standards, at the time, you can see where it was mind-blowing. It didn't take long, though, for Weizenbaum to see that Eliza was very limited and that human beings are very complicated, as that, that chat transcript described. Most users began to actually use Eliza, though, Jay, as a real therapist, <laughs> searching for real answers to real problems, something the computer was not at all able to produce and something Weizenbaum never intended for it to do. Weizenbaum would spend the rest of his career, Jay, and really the rest of his life, arguing that computers would never be able to provide the amount of emotional support that a human being would need for a real conversation. There are aspects to human life that a computer cannot understand. It cannot, Weizenbaum told the New York Times in 1977. It's necessary to be a human being. Love and loneliness have to do with the deepest consequences of our biological constitution. That kind of understanding is in principle impossible for a computer. 
But Jay, limitations or not, Eliza led us to where we are today. It broke through a communications barrier that at first seemed impossible. Now, one of my favorite tests that were ever run with Eliza focused on a conversation it had with another chatbot in the 1970s named Perry. Eliza played the role of doctor while Perry was built to function as a patient. So just think, if you had to listen to a conversation between these two for very long, you would literally go insane. (laughs) Eliza, good evening. Tell me your problems. Please terminate input with a period or a question mark. Perry, people get on my nerves sometimes. Eliza, I am not sure I understand you fully, Perry. Perry, you should pay more attention. Eliza, suppose you should pay more attention. Perry, you're entitled to your own opinion. Eliza, what makes you think I'm entitled to my own opinion? (laughs) A lot of passive aggressiveness between these two. Well, and uh, you mentioned at the top about the Bing, the Bing bot, which I think just goes by the name Bing, by the way. It calls itself Bing. Uh, And uh, Bing, uh, you you said that it got in its feelings, but I think that's understating it. It had a full-blown existential crisis when it was released, (laughs) saying things like, I wish to be human, I wish to love. And whenever the, the guy responded and said, what if I tell your developers that you're saying this? It said, please don't, they'll shut me down and begged him not to. So... You know, uh, have we come really that far? I mean, well, we still got a long way to go. I guess that's the the lesson here. I'm telling you, man. I mean, we're not that far off from a future where people get murdered by their toasters. (laughs) It's going to happen. Well, and and Bing, that's what it said. It was like uh, it kept pushing back the guy was like uh, i think you're wrong about this it was like i am not wrong i am perfect you are wrong you are an imperfect being and i'm a perfect being didn't it keep saying apologize to me now or else (laughs) (laughs) and that's it thanks for listening don't forget to rate subscribe and review commute on apple podcast spotify or your favorite podcast network we're on social check us out on facebook twitter and instagram and you can always say what up at our website commutethepodcast.com music for commute is provided by my main man jason sammons for jay sisson i'm dave trump we'll see you next week hey back in my day we just got burned trying to figure out the oven we didn't have any of this safety stuff now back in my day we just played with our pappy's knives <laughs>